It's National Wheaties Week. Yes, it's National Wheaties Week, and Wheaties present Dangerous Assignment. On stage tonight from Hollywood, Dangerous Assignment, another in the Wheaties' big parade of exciting half-hour presentations. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though, trouble. But when I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize it's going to involve my trying to hold Western Europe together with two mirrors, a book of matches, and a rusty razor blade. Commissioner, Ruth said you wanted to see me. I do, Steve. You're flying to Paris. Mm. But don't get any ideas. Well, I can dream, can't I? I'm afraid this dream's going to turn into a nightmare. Oh, swell. What's the deal? Tell me, what do you know about Aristide Raynal, Steve? Raynal? Oh, sure. The Swiss Sherlock Holmes. A sleuth of the old school, complete with a derby hat, umbrella, and false faces. But a very right guy, even if he is left-handed. <laughs> and also one of the sharpest little detectives in the world. That's right. But I see you don't know the latest about him. What's that? Last night in Paris, Aristide Renal was murdered. What? Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. I, I really liked the little guy. Who did it? We think it was our old friend Lupac, Steve. Lupac? Is he still on the loose? More than ever. Now, Steve, I don't have to tell you about Lupac. He's a hired killer and the cleverest man we've ever had in our hair. I'll tell you how clever he is. He's been operating five years that we know of. We're fairly sure he's implicated in at least a half dozen assassinations, and yet no one even has a description of him. Yeah, I know that. Look, Commissioner, Aristide Raynal was a sort of a friend of mine, but I don't think you'd be sending me over to Paris to find Lupac for that reason. No, there's a lot more to it than friendship, Steve. You see, representatives of several European nations have been trying to hold top-secret conversations in Paris for the last week. What do you mean they've been trying? Every time they schedule a meeting, one of the representatives meets with a fatal accident, and I don't mean accident. I see. We think Lupac is responsible for those murders, that he's been hired to hamstring those negotiations. Now, Steve, they're going to try to meet again next Monday. Lupac's got to be caught before then. Get over to Paris. Work with Inspector Muir out of the Surete and find Lupac. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck. Dangerous assignment will continue in a moment. Now, here is the Wheaties man, Frank Martin. Say, friends, are you celebrating proper? It's National Wheaties Week, you know. National, meaning everybody coast to coast. Wheaties, meaning the whole wheat flakes with a wholehearted energy. And week, meaning seven big days for you and me to buy them, try them, and tell the neighbors. I'm eating them. My family's eating them. How about you and yours? Get Wheaties yourself and get with America. Come on, it's National Wheaties Week. <laughs> That's what I like about my job. 
The commissioner's always so nice to me. He gives me a whole weekend in Paris, and all I have to do is find a killer nobody's ever lived to describe. I should be so lucky. Well, it's Friday when I get to Paris. I go to the headquarters of the French Sûreté, and Inspector Murat is waiting for me. Mitchell, all of us here at the Sûreté feel we have lost an honored colleague in Monsieur Aristide Renal. Uh, what facts can you give me about Renal's murder, Inspector? Unfortunately, very few. We know only that Renal's body was discovered yesterday morning in the apartment of a man named Baylog. Baylog? Who's he? We have no idea, Mitchell. This Baylog has dropped completely out of sight. Mm. Do you have any description of him? We have managed to piece together a slight description by questioning the other tenants. Baylog is a small man, dark, with a mustache and a Van Dyke beard. He customarily wears horn-rimmed glasses and a beret. Great. That description could fit a thousand guys in Paris. True. You know... There's a little idea pecking at my brain, Murat. I should not be surprised if it were the same idea that occurred to me, Mitchell. Namely, that this mysterious Monsieur Belog might be the hired killer we seek, Lupin. Yeah. You got a key to this Belog's apartment, Commissioner? Yes. We have left everything untouched for the time being. Good. Come on. I'd like to take a look at it. <laughs> As you can see, it is quite a simple apartment. Yeah, pretty bare. You spot any items of interest here? A rusty razor blade in the bathroom. Oh, well, let's take a look. Mm. Yeah. And some whiskers in the washbowl. It is possible that Baylog, after the killing, decided to shave off his mustache and beard. So now we're looking for a little man with horn-rimmed glasses, with or without mustache and beard. You know, <laughs> we're getting less to go on by the minute. Funny. Indeed. I do not see any humor in it. No, no, no. I mean, this guy, Balog, must have been a pretty vain gent. How do you mean? He's got two mirrors in here. Oui, I noticed that. One of them here over the washbowl on the left side of the room in the corner and another one in the middle of the wall. Mm, perhaps he needed more light. There's as much light here as there is there. You are right. It is strange. Well, anything else, Inspector? Uh, there on the table in front of you. Hmm? This matchbook? Yes. Note that there are but two matches remaining on the right side. Right now, I'm more interested in noting the name on the cover. Hugo's. What's that? A small restaurant on the Boulevard de Clichy. Hmm. Well, when you don't know where to start, I guess one place is as good as any other, Inspector. Besides, I'm hungry anyway. I'll see you later. <laughs> I head for Hugo's. And, of course, every other guy I see on the way there answers Baylog's general description, which gives me a good idea what a sweet job it's going to be finding him. Inside the restaurant, a mournful-looking little gent is circulating from table to table, sawing away at a fiddle for the benefit of a few moonstruck couples. Then a tall, skinny gent spots me standing in the doorway and comes up to me. Welcome, welcome to Hugo's, monsieur. Are you the official greeter? <laughs> I am Hugo. Oh, good. I'd like to talk to you. Where can we sit? Why, uh, at this table right here. But if you are selling anything, I am not in the market. Business, it stinks. Don't worry, I'm not selling anything. Oh, my friend, I now have much warmer feeling toward you. In that case, I would like to sell you something. A dinner fit for royalty. Uh, later, but right now I'd like a little information. Did you ever hear the name Baylog before? Baylog? 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 What are you doing, memorizing it? Oh, but of course, Baylog, a steady customer, noble soul. At least he was. Was what? A noble soul or a steady customer? In Hugo's mind, there is no difference, my friend. But to be brief, I have not seen Monsieur Baylog in here for the last few days. I don't wonder. 
But before that, he used to come in regularly, huh? Now you're making me slightly uncomfortable, monsieur. Mitchell, why? Uh, <laughs> Mitchell, uh, very simple. When inquiries are made about my steady customers, sometimes makes them very nervous. Uh, then they become unsteady customers. And then Hugo's nerves become unsteady because it means he is losing money. I get it. You think five bucks American would steady your nerves, Hugo? <laughs> would be interesting experiment. Uh, place the bill in my hand. <laughs> there you are. Uh-huh. The experiment were? <laughs> See, my fingers, they are not quivering one bit. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Now, about filling me in on this guy, Baylog. Of course, of course. He came in here regularly, uh, usually in company of another man. Uh, what did this other man look like? Oh, he was small, about Baylock's size. A very inconspicuous-looking man. Let me see. I believe he usually wore derby hat and carried umbrella with him. Derby hat? Umbrella? Hey, wait a minute. Look, here, uh, take a look at this picture. This uh, isn't the guy by any chance, is it? But, of course, the very man. And you say that he and Balog were in here together all the time? Yes, yes, yes. You know the man in this picture? I knew him. His name was Aristide Renal. Well, the two of them seem quite friendly. Hmm. I don't get it, unless... I don't get what, my friend? I'll skip it. Well, thanks for the information, Hugo. Oh, but there is more. Huh? Indeed. Let us say that you have paid only for the main course of the dinner. Uh, there remains dessert. You know, I don't see why you bother serving food in this place. You seem to do pretty well without it. <laughs> One must live, my friend. Okay, steady fingers. Here's another five spot. Now, how about the dessert? Ah, you see, over at corner table, alone. The girl? Who else? Well, you said dessert and you weren't kidding. French pastry yet. Who is she? Celeste. A, um, shall we say, friend of Baylock's? Mm, that gives me three good reasons for talking to her. Three? What are the other two? Her eyes, of course. Well, I'll see you later, Hugo. Hi. Hello. Mind if I join you? Why not? Good question. I am drinking Pernod in case you want to buy me another drink. Sounds like an open and shut in case. Waiter, Pernod and uh, Scotch. Oui, monsieur. You're a friend of Baylog's, aren't you? Why? You've seen him lately? Why? Your needle is stuck. <laughs> uh, I owe him some money. Give it to me. I will give it to him. No, thanks. Not that I don't trust you. I just don't trust you. <laughs> I'd rather give it to him myself, Celeste. Suit yourself. I have not seen him lately. I see. Did you ever hear him use any other name besides LeBuck? Other name? Lupac, for instance. For instance, no. But why do we talk about Baylog? He bores me. I know something much more interesting to talk about. What's that? Celeste and... Uh, Steve. Celeste and Steve. It sounds nice. Yeah. Might be an interesting topic of conversation at that. Uh, where do you think it would lead us? Maybe to 36th Rue Sedan. What's there? My place. Oh, well... Here are your drinks, Monsieur. Scotch and Pernod. You're a little late, Buster. We're leaving. There you are. Merci, Monsieur. But the drinks, what shall I do with them? Well, you might... No, no, just drink them. Come on, Celeste. We drive up and stop at her place and start in. Then I catch a glimpse of a figure standing in the shadows of the alley across the street. Could be Baylog, alias Lupac... Celeste promises to wait, goes inside, and I walk down to the end of the block. Then I cross over and circle around that block. I came up the alley behind the guy, but when I get into the alley, there's enough light to tell me that no one else is in there. 
I come out across the street from Celeste's apartment, and still no one in sight. I start to turn for another look back down the alley, but just then an arm swings down out of the doorway beside me, and something awfully hard connects over my right ear. Knocks me to the ground. I fight to get up on my hands and knees, but just as I do, I get it again. I grab for the legs in front of my blurry eyes, but this guy must be enjoying it. The third time is the charm. Out I go. Steve Mitchell will continue his dangerous assignment in just a moment. It's National Wheaties Week. Hello, this is Frank Martin, the family man. Yes, sir, a family man with a wife and a son and a home like yours. Pretty much like the man around your house, I'll bet. I wake up hungry, and I do mean hungry. But my wife, bless her heart, has a cure for that. She has Wheaties ready with bananas sliced and the cream right handy. You know, that sure is a wonderful way to treat a man. So why don't you try it on yours during National Wheaties Week? If he's anything like me, he'll go for those Wheaties. Yes, and they can help keep him going, too. There's a whole kernel of wheat in every Wheaties flake. Not bad, huh? A whole kernel. So I'm asking you to try Wheaties once during National Wheaties Week, won't you? Try them. And now, back to Dangerous Assignment and Steve Mitchell. Mitchell! Mitchell! Oh. Mitchell! What? Oh, Inspector Murat. Oh, you are not so bad off after all. I don't take any bets on that. Oh, I'm glad. Brother, my head. What happened anyway? Oh, well, one of my patrolmen heard a commotion. He saw a man dragging you into this alley. The man fled. When the patrolman saw your identification papers, he called me. And here I am. Looks like I was about to get taken for the well-known ride. Who hit you? I wish I knew. Could have been Balog. Hey, that reminds me. Come on, Inspector. We should have a talk with Celeste. No answer. She may have gone. On the other hand, she may be hiding in there. You got a pass key? We. Oui. Let's find out. Very well. Here it is. Now watch it. Baylog may be inside, too. That possibility has also occurred to me. I'll get the lights. Huh. Empty. You know, there's something that bothers me about this whole setup. What is it? That's the trouble. I can't put my finger on it. It's like listening to a pretty little tune and hearing a discord every now and then. Like, for instance... Hugo told me that Balog and Aristide Renal were regular customers at his restaurant and that they seemed very friendly. Monsieur Renal was what we might call a detective of the old school. I am sure the idea of assuming another identity and befriending Balog would have appealed to him. Yeah, like I say, that could be it. And if that was the only discord, I wouldn't pay any attention to it. There are others? Uh, just little ones, like why the two mirrors in Balog's bathroom? You think there is a significance there? Right now I'm having trouble thinking at all with this lump on my head. Look... I'm going back to Hugo's and see if he can give me any more leads on Celeste. I'll check with you later at headquarters. Ah, good evening, Monsieur Nietzsche. Hello, Hugo. Hey, uh, looks like you're doing quite a business. No, these are not customers. They are would-be waiters. Oh. Waiters, waiters. Today I need a waiter. I put in paper advertisement, and they pour in a flood. Oh, but I do not think that you come back here to talk about waiters. 
Did you find your friend Baylow? No. No, I can't even find Celeste. No. Hey, uh, there's ten bucks in it for you if you let me know the next time she drops in here. Ten bucks? Ten bucks. Is it a deal? <laughs> My friend, for that I will not only let you know, I will have her here waiting for you. In chain? <laughs> Mitchell, were you able to find out anything more at Hugo's? Only that he's having employment troubles. Uh, tell me, are you still hearing little discords in this tune we are listening to? Yes, I am. I'm beginning to think that the discords could add up to a whole new tune. <laughs> uh, but anyway. Mm. Hello? Oui? What? Hello, Kiko. Very well. Well, it's warming up, Mitchell. How so? At your suggestion, I have had one of my men watching Celeste's apartment. He reports that a man answering Baylor's general description just went inside. Okay. Well, that sort of knocks my new tune into a cocked hat. Come on, let's go. Better stop here, Inspector. Celeste's apartment is just ahead. We. Oui. There's a small open car parked up there in front of the apartment house. Yes, that is the car the suspect arrived in, according to the report my man gave me. Look, here he comes out the door. He's getting into the car. Mitchell, we must not let him escape. Hold it. Doesn't look like he's going anywhere. He's just sitting in the car. Huh. He's a little guy, all right. And Hugo said Balog was a little guy. He is not wearing glasses, however, and he is clean-shaven. Don't forget those whiskers in Balog's wash basin. He could have shaved his beard off. What are you going to do? Have a little talk with him. I'll be back in a minute. Be very careful, Mitchell. I beg your pardon. Oh, what is it? Uh, you got a match? Why, of course. Here. Thanks. Say, I wonder if you could help me. Help you? Yeah. I'm a tourist here, and I need a little information. Oh, yeah. I'm rather in a hurry. And, well, this uh... won't take a minute. Here. This is a timetable for the Underground Railway, but I can't seem to figure out where the nearest station is. Oh, very well. Excuse me. I must put on my glasses. So... Now, let me see it. Oui, your nearest station is just off the Boulevard de Montparnasse. Uh, how do I get there? Uh, let me see. You go down this street, two blocks, then over one, and then you turn... No, not so fast. Now, look, here's a piece of paper. Would you write it down for me? Oh, certainly. I'm sorry to put you to the trouble. Oh, it is quite all right. Here you are. Thank you very much. Well? I don't know. Could be Balog, all right. He had to put on glasses to read the timetable. In that case, perhaps we... Mitchell, look! Yeah, Celeste just jumped into his car. Come on, here, right. Get this baby started. We, we don't want to lose him now. So, for the next 30 minutes, we chase them down a dozen assorted side streets and alleys, but we can't seem to gain on them. Finally, we spot the car pulled up in front of a four-story warehouse. Neither the little guy nor Celeste is in the car. We pull up behind it. They must be somewhere in that building, Mitchell. Yeah, but where? This is a lot of building, looks like. Well, one of us had better go to the rear entrance, the other take the front. Okay, you, Mur... Murat, get back! Mon dieu. Brother. Well, this is the guy we were chasing, all right, or what's left of him. Mm, no identification on him, but that does not surprise me. 
Well, Mitchell, the case is closed. Our little friend, Baylog, realized he was cornered. He preferred to administer justice to himself. Did he? I know what you are thinking, that perhaps he was pushed off the building. Well, perhaps he was. It is no matter. Either way, it would appear our case is closed. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's just the way it would appear. Marcel Mitchell, international cooperation is a wonderful thing, and it has been a privilege to work with you in this affair. But I must say, I am becoming increasingly annoyed at your present attitude. Sorry. It is true we have identified the body as that of Harold Pravda, an unemployed waiter. But to me, this means nothing. If Baylog was Lupac, as we believe him to be, he was quite capable of assuming a dozen different identities. I know all that, Inspector. But I tell you, the whole thing fits into place. Observe. First, we know that Aristide Renal was on the trail of the notorious Lupac. Second, Renal is murdered in the apartment of a mysterious little man named Baylog. Third, we know that Celeste is a friend of Baylog's. Fourth... Fourth, we chase Celeste and a little guy to a warehouse. The little guy takes a dive or gets pushed off the roof. Exactly. And furthermore, this little guy, as you call him, answers Baylog's description. Even to the horn-rimmed glasses, which he put on to write directions for you when you approach. Hey, hold it right there. What? You just said something, Inspector. I remember now. That little guy wrote out the directions for me right-handed. Is this so unusual? It's unusual enough to take us back to Baylog's apartment right now. Baylog's apartment? But surely if Baylog is dead... Baylog is dead, all right. But if my hunch is good, there's something a lot more important than Baylog in his apartment. But what could it be? The answer to this whole deal. <laughs> Inspector... One of the things you showed me when we were here in Baylog's apartment before was this matchbook on the table. But, of course, that led us to Hugo's restaurant. Yeah, and that's all I was paying attention to at the time. I should have paid more attention to the fact that the remaining matches were on the right-hand side of the book. That means the person who was using those matches was left-handed. Grant, he picked off the matches with his left hand. Aristide Reynal was left-handed. Of course he was, Mitchell. We both know that. But what does that prove? We believe that Raynor was posing as a friend of Baylog's. They ate dinner together. Raynor obviously visited this apartment. As a matter of fact, this is where his body was discovered, if you will remember. Yeah, Raynor was left-handed. He probably used those matches. Now, come on into the bathroom. Very well. Now, this is the part I couldn't figure out before, Mirat, but it sure makes sense now, the two mirrors. But I still do not see... The regular mirror is over the washbowl right here in the left-hand corner of the room. True. Now, pretend you're Baylog and you're going to shave. And also, pretend you're left-handed. Well, no, all right. I would simply take a razor in my left hand and then... Mitchell! Yeah, that's right, Inspector. There's not enough room between the mirror and the wall on the left side for a left-handed man to shave. Yes. You'd probably cut your nose off. That is why Baylog set up the other mirror farther along the wall. Yeah, Inspector, doesn't it strike you as a pretty big coincidence that both Raynal and Baylog happened to be left-handed? What are you suggesting? I'm suggesting that Raynal and Baylog were one and the same man. What? But that is impossible. Is it? Look, we know Raynal liked to adopt various disguises. I think he grew a beard, rented this apartment under the name of Baylog, and went after Lupac. Then, when things got too warm, he shaved off his beard, but it was too late. Lupac killed him, and his body was correctly identified as Raynal. But Hugo himself told us he had seen Raynal and Baylog dining together frequently in his restaurant. That's the point, Inspector. That means that... That means that Hugo was lying. Wait. 
Hello, Hugo. I figured you'd be pretty close on our trail at this point. I had to be sure you were convinced that the little man who, shall we say, fell off the roof was Baylog. Unfortunately, you are not convinced at all. Then Hugo is Lupin. That's about the way it adds up. I have that honor indeed. Ah, Inspector, the hand away from the pocket, please. I admit there are more artistic ways of killing them with this gun of mine, but I am practical man. I always threw the weapon to the occasion. You were pretty smart in this deal, weren't you, Hugo? Up to a point. When you found out that we believed there was a guy named Balog and that he'd killed, killed Raynal, you decided to keep the story alive. You even went so far as to hire a little waiter who might pass for Balog. You made a deal with him to take us on a chase through town. Then you shoved him off the building, hoping that would close the case and take the heat off of you. Stay where you are. So it did not work. However, you are the only two who know it did not work. And you can be easily disposed of. Uh, Mitchell, stay where you are. Don't worry, Hugo. I'm not getting any closer to you. I'm just walking sideways. Stop. You know, Hugo, for the first time in your life, you're going to have to make a choice. I said stop. Okay. What do you mean? Up to this point in your illustrious career, you've always been told who to kill. Now you've got to choose, me or Murat. I shall kill both of you. Oh, no. We're on opposite sides of the room now, and you're right in the middle. Whichever one you shoot, the other's going to jump you. And you won't have time to get us both. So, which one of us it is going to be, Hugo? Hugo licks his lips, jerking his head first towards me and then Murat. My plan is working. I'm almost to the light switch. Hugo takes another quick look at Murat, and I grab the switch and drop to the floor. I know Murat's got his gun out by now like I have, but I also know Hugo's too smart to stay in one spot. I listen. No sound. I've got to figure out a way to trap him. Then I think of the small shaving mirror on the bathroom wall. I'm about two feet from the door. I ease into the bathroom flat on my stomach and get the mirror. Then I prop it up against the inside of the door so it'll reflect from behind the door out into the living room. I get behind the door and stick my gun through the crack. Then I take my cigarette lighter, reach back behind me, and light it. He takes a shot at the reflection, and I've got his location pegged. You're at I am all right, Mitchell. Okay, I got the right guy then. Get the lights. Oh, indeed, you did get the right man, Mitchell. Hmm. He's still alive, but I don't think for very long. Your mirror device was most effective. Well, I guess it was pretty fitting, Inspector. That mirror was what tipped us off to the whole deal anyway. It would appear the old superstition about breaking a mirror is true. No, no, you're wrong there, Inspector. This proves that that superstition is all wet. Hmm? <laughs> How do you mean? Well... Breaking a mirror is supposed to bring seven years bad luck, isn't it? Well, yes, I, I guess it is. Ah, so it sure isn't true for Hugo, anyway. He should live that long. You have just heard the conclusion of Dangerous Assignment. Now, here is the Wheaties man, Frank Martin. It's... National Wheaties Week. <laughs> that was my wife. Sure, it's National Wheaties Week. So the Wheaties people ask her if she'd come to the studio tonight and tell the truth about me and Wheaties. Our little boy would have come, but he's only three and a half, and it's about time he was in bed. My wife's name is Maud Lee Martin, and she comes from Kentucky. Maybe you can tell it when you hear her talk. Thank you, honey. Well, I'm surely glad to have a chance to celebrate National Wheaties Week because we're really fond of Wheaties at our house. Our little boy, Jeff, eats them right out of the box. Your Wheaties announcer, my husband, eats Wheaties, too. 
And I'd like to tell every wife listening, I really do think Wheaties make a great deal of difference in a man's work. I have a real nice feeling when I put Wheaties on the breakfast table because I know I'm giving my family a wonderful lot of real nourishment. If you haven't had Wheaties lately, pick up a package when you're at the store tomorrow and join the Martins at breakfast, won't you? Sure, do that. It's National Wheaties Week. Come on, everybody, to the Wheaties party. Eat a lot of Wheaties like the champions do. Dance together cheek to cheek. This is National Wheaties Week. Eat a lot of Wheaties like the champions do. Wheaties at breakfast the champions. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, is written by Bob Reif, with music composed by Basil Adlam and conducted by Ralph Hollenbeck, and is produced and directed by Bill Carr. Join us again next Wednesday when Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell embarks on another Dangerous Assignment. And this is the Wheaties man, Frank Martin, inviting you to listen Thursday, that's tomorrow night, to Sarah Berner in Sarah's Private Caper on the Wheaties Big Parade. See you then. And remember, it's National Wheaties Week. Dangerous Assignment came to you from Hollywood. Three weeks from tonight, the great Gildersleeve returns to NBC. Studebaker, yours in six stunning styles for 60, including the new convertible and... Look what else is new for you. It's here, it's here, it's here, it's here. It's a new Lark wagon with four convenient doors. And it's style for fun and frolic, but it's built for chores. Look at the Lark yourself. Learn how it's been proven by 750 million miles of owner use. Visit your Studebaker dealer and see how nothing has been spared to build quality into the Lark. Discover why it's the value car of the year. The Lark is the car of the year. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Mr. Dollar, I want you to come over here right away. What's that again? I want you to come over here right away. Uh, that's what I thought you said, but who is this and where's here? This is Ellis P. Watkins, Mr. Dollar. You've heard of me, perhaps? Yeah, I think so. Manufacturer, aren't you? Well, at the moment, that seems to be a matter of opinion. Over here is Broad Acres at Fairfield, Connecticut. Would you mind telling me what this is all about, Mr. Watkins? It's very simple. I have $100,000 to give away. All? To whom? That is what you are going to tell me. I'll get there as soon as I can. Bob Bailey 
in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And now, act one of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the estate of E.P. Watkins, Fairfield, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the happy family matter. Expense account item one, $1.20 taxi from my apartment to the home office of the Universal Adjustment Bureau and Pat McCracken. Well, it didn't take Mr. Watkins long to get in touch with you, Johnny. Yeah, I figured he must have got my name from you, Pat. Ah, E.P. Watkins holds a life policy for $100,000. Beneficiary was to have been his wife, but she died several months ago. Now he wants to designate a new beneficiary. You mean he wants me to tell him who the beneficiary should be? That's right. No, thanks. Now, look, You Johnny... look, Pat. I got tangled up in a family matter once before. I still have the scars to prove Johnny... it. Johnny... Why doesn't Mr. Watkins pick his own beneficiary? Ordinarily, he would, but in a case like this, it might take time. So what? From what I can gather, Johnny, Mr. Watkins doesn't have much time left to live. Oh? <sighs> okay, Pat. Item two, $4.30, transportation by car to Broad Acres, the Watkins home in Fairfield. It was a big place, and it was old. I was shown into the library. E.P. Watkins was sitting in front of the fire. I could see that he wasn't well, but there was still a lot of strength in his face. Mr. Dollar, according to the medical authorities, I have somewhere between one week and one year to live. I'm sorry. I'm not. Oh? My wife is dead. My business is on the verge of collapse, and my children are strangers. Should I be sorry? Well, I... I don't know. I have three possible beneficiaries. A daughter, Sheila, 28 years old. A son, Michael, 26, and another daughter, Elizabeth, 24. Why not have all three share equally? Mr. Dollar, had I wished to do that, I would not be calling on you. The others will be taken care of elsewhere in the estate, I suppose. There is no estate other than this insurance policy. Oh. Most of it has gone down the drain of an ailing business. The rest will be consumed in estate expenses. I see. Watkins' money should be kept in the Watkins family as I see it. But I... I most emphatically wish the money to go to one member and one member only. And the other two? They're to be left out in the cold, huh? I did not engage you to examine my motives, Mr. Dollar. You have asked me a direct question, and I will give you a direct answer. Yes, I intend, as you put it, to leave the other two out in the cold. Uh, you say there are three of them, Sheila, Michael, Elizabeth. What can you tell me about them? Well, Sheila, who lives with me, <laughs> seems to think that she should be managing my affairs instead of I. Uh-huh. Michael seems to prefer the so-called life of an artist to assuming the responsibilities of the name of Watkins. And Elizabeth? Stubborn, stubborn. Married to one James Lovett, who is quite convinced that he knows infinitely more about business matters than I ever did. Well, you seem to take a pretty dim view of all of them, Mr. Watkins. I do. 
I do indeed, Mr. Dollar. You know, one little item occurs to me. And what is that? Whichever two are left out aren't going to like it very much. Obviously. Which means they're not going to like me very much. Also quite obvious. So I intend to pay you a considerable fee. But you will earn it. Every penny of it. Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. And now for another episode in the life of Sergeant Donald Bellwether, my husband. Everything packed in this duffel bag? Yeah, everything but these, Sarge. Oh, let me see that bottle. Reba, what in the world would a bunch of guys on our fishing trip want with these indigestion pills? Well, now, you just take them along, Don. Remember, you boys will be doing your own cooking for three whole days. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you're right. Oh, boy, I can hardly wait to pop some of those freshly caught fish into the pan. There, now. Everything's all packed. Yeah, well, we better get going. The fellas will be waiting. Well, I'll walk you to the car. Okay. I'll carry this bag. The rest of the gear is already packed. Here, I'll open the door for you. Oh, thanks, honey. Now, I'll just put this bag in the back seat. Okay. Now, kiss me goodbye right here on the front lawn so the neighbors will know I'm not leaving because we quarrel. Oh, you're so silly. Good luck, dear. Have a wonderful time. You really deserve this fishing trip. Well, is that all you got to say? I mean, you, you, you usually tell me to drive carefully, et cetera, et cetera. Well, this time I will not say a word. Hmm. Oh. Okay, dear. Well, I guess I better be going. Hey, what's this note on the steering wheel? Dear Sergeant, on one holiday last year in the States, speed was a factor in 71% of the accidents. Drinking was a factor in nearly half. Accidents were most frequent early in the weekend. 82% of the accidents happened in rural areas, and the victims were usually the drivers. Your loving wife, Reba. <laughs> I might have known you'd get to me somehow. <laughs> Goodbye, dear. Oh, I'm going to miss you. Oh, I'm going to miss you too, Reba. And don't you worry. I'll drive safely. That's my Donald. That's my doll. And now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Happy Family Matter. Well, this was undoubtedly the weirdest assignment I'd ever been handed, and from one of the weirdest characters I'd ever met, E.P. Watkins. And yet I couldn't help feeling sorry for him. He was really alone. And somewhere along the line, he must have been hurt pretty badly. I left the library and started through the drawing room. Mr. Dollar? Hmm? I'm Sheila. Oh, yeah. I'd like to talk to you for a moment. Sure, why not? Mr. Dollar, I know what you must think of my father. Oh, do you? But if you're inclined to judge him harshly, just remember, he wasn't always like this. Oh. So, so very many things have gone wrong for him. Like what? Like, well... I'm afraid the main thing is his feeling that the three of us, Elizabeth and Michael and I, have let him down somehow. He seems to resent us so terribly. Why should he, Sheila? I'm not sure. I think he resents me because I'm not a man. Oh? You see, I'm the oldest, 
And in many ways, I'm more like Father than the others are. If I'd been a man, I could have, well, taken over for him. Yeah, I see. I've tried to do what I could, help make decisions, that sort of thing. But I think he somehow resents that, too. Well, I, I gather it hasn't exactly been easy for you living here with him. Somebody has to. And the others have lives of their own. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of the others, I'd like to talk to them. Where can I find them? Elizabeth and her husband live in Cranford, New Jersey. And Michael's in New York, in Greenwich Village. Okay. Thanks, Sheila. Outwardly, she was poised, but I could tell she was nervous, tense. Her fingers wouldn't stay still. She kept shredding bits of cellophane from her cigarette package. Yeah, she was under strain, all right, and I could understand why. Item three, $8.40, transportation to New York City to the Greenwich Village apartment of Michael Watkins. Mr. Dollar, you can tell Dad that I do not want that insurance money. Why not, Mike? Because it doesn't... Well, he doesn't owe me anything, and I don't owe him anything. It was a clean break, and that's just the way I want it. You're sure about that? I am. I'm doing what I want to do. I'm painting. Everything is just the way I want it. You know, Mike, you sound sort of like you were trying to convince yourself. I resent that, Mr. Dollar. Our family is split apart, that's all. Sheila's been trying her best to hold it together, but it won't work. Why not? Because I have had it. For years, Dad's been trying to cram Watkins and company down my throat. He knew my heart wasn't in it, but did that matter to him? No. Look, Mr. Dollar, I can make your job real easy for you. Yeah? There's one person in our family really deserves that money after what she's been through. Sheila? Yes. Sheila. Item four, six dollars even, transportation to the Lovett's home in Cranford, New Jersey. Look, Mr. Dollar, if sending you here is some scheme of Dad's to, well, to force us into line, you're wasting your time, and so is he. Now, wait a minute, Elizabeth, After please. the way he's treated Jim... Relax, honey. That's all over and done with. Look, Dollar, I can simplify your job for you. Can you? Give the insurance to Elizabeth here. Why? Because then I can get my hands on it. Oh? Well, what would you do with it, Jim? Buy a controlling interest in Watkins and Company and put the business back on its feet. You once worked for Watkins and Company. Why did you leave? Because he's still running it the way he did 30 years ago. It won't work, and I wouldn't be a part of it. Jim tried, Mr. Dollar. He really did. But Dad wouldn't even listen to him. For years, he tried to get Mike to take over the business. But Mike prefers to be off in Never Never Land painting those lousy pictures of now, his. Now, Jim... They are lousy, and you know it, Liz. Look, uh, Jim, you say Mr. Watkins didn't give you a chance to put your ideas into effect, huh? No. Finally, things got to the breaking point. Dollar, I sent him a written contract guaranteeing I'd raise the necessary financing. I asked for only six months in charge. Contract? But he wouldn't accept your offer, huh? No. Sheila begged him to sign. Finally, he sent word back for me to tear up the contract and get out of the company. I see. Well, Dollar, you've met all three of us now. Who's going to be the beneficiary? Sheila or Mike? Or Elizabeth. One thing I wanted to check on was Jim's opinion that Mike was not a good painter. I nosed around until I found an art dealer who'd handled his work. He showed me a couple of paintings and then leveled with me. So far as he could see, Mike was a lousy artist. I went back to my hotel to think it over, but I found a message that Mr. Watkins' attorney wanted to talk to me. He'd taken a room on the floor above, so I went upstairs. 
Fine. Halfway into the room, I noticed it was dark. Then as I heard the door slam, I felt a gun barrel in my back. All real still, Dollar. Who are you? That don't matter. What's this all about? Dollar, this case you're working on, you drop it right now. And if I don't? If you don't, you get dropped for keeps. of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. Do you know who said, that man is free who is protected from injury? Those words came from Daniel Webster, one of the most eloquent orators in American history. Webster knew that a man could not be free unless he lived in a country which recognized his right to freedom and created laws to protect that freedom. A slave state may say that its citizens are free, but as long as a single citizen can be harmed by the whim of a country's rulers, true freedom does not exist. A man is free only if his rights to freedom are protected. Remember the words of Daniel Webster. They are part of your American heritage. The free man must be protected from injury. And now, act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Happy Family Matter. You get the message, Dollar? Sure. I dropped the case or else. Look, you're obviously not Watkins' attorney. The message was just a decoy to get me here. Who hired you to give Don't me this one? Don't get so nosy, Dollar. You got the warning. It's the main point. Just to make sure you get the message. I'd seen what was coming in duck, then swung and knocked the gun out of his hand. Hey. He gave me a knee in the oh, stomach and flat. Oh. By the time I got to my feet, he was gone. I turned on the lights and looked around. And then on the table, I spotted something that stopped me cold. The truth had been right under my nose all the time. I called the various members of the family, asked them to meet me at the Watkins' home. When I got there, they were waiting for me. Mr. Watkins, Sheila, Mike, Elizabeth, and her husband, Jim. There was a stiff, chilly politeness in the air. There was tension, too. Mr. Dollar, I want you to know that I resent your theatrical gesture in assembling us like this. And I'm sorry, Mr. Watkins, but you hired me to do a job, and I'm trying to do it. I'm sure you have reasons for this, Mr. Dollar. But you must know how painful this is to Father. Yes, I know, Sheila, but it's necessary. I don't see why, darling. I'm coming to that, Mike. Now, look, let's face it. This is not exactly the happiest family in the world. It's been torn wide apart. All right. Why is it torn apart? Oh, that's ancient history, Mr. Dollar. Maybe some of it is, Elizabeth, but a lot of it isn't. Well, I don't see what's to be gained by rehashing Let all this. Let him finish, honey. Just what are you driving at, Dollar? Just this, Jim. I was hired to find out what I could about the three beneficiaries. On the surface, everybody was very cooperative. On the surface? Somebody in this family didn't really want me to make this investigation, Sheila. They hired a strong arm to rough me up earlier this evening to make me drop the investigation. Nonsense. Sorry, Mr. Watkins, but I've got the scars to prove it. But who? Let's start with you, Mike. I want to know why you quit the family business and started painting. I told you. It was because Dad kept trying to cram the business down my throat. Why, you ungrateful. Well, it's true. I couldn't take it any longer. Sure. But you'd felt that way for a long while. 
What led you to make the break, Mike? Well, I... When even Sheila agreed it was no use, I... I she encouraged was... you. Of course I encouraged him. I felt he should have the right to a life of his own. But Sheila... You told me that you had begged Mike to stay in the company. She what? What? I was acting in the best interests of the family. Were you, Sheila? Mr. Dollar, I don't know what you're trying to suggest. That brings us to Jim and Elizabeth here. Jim, you quit the company, too. Why? I've already told you, Dollar. Mr. Watkins refused my last offer of help. Kicked me out. Well, that's not true. What offer are you talking about? That contract I sent you. What contract? You never saw it, did you, Mr. Watkins? I most certainly did not. But I... Wait a minute. I gave the contract to Sheila. She said it'd be better if she handled it. Then she told me later she discussed it with her father and he refused. Sheila, you lied. Well, Sheila? Mr. Dollar, I refused to discuss... Sheila, you... You have a nervous habit of shredding cellophane cigarette wrappers to bits. In the hotel room where that hired strong arm jumped me, I found a little pile of shredded cellophane near the ashtray. Sheila. Uh, I, I don't understand. Mr. Dollar, do I understand that you're suggesting it's... It's been I who've torn the family apart? Well... Sheila. Yes, Father. Why? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know. Hey, look, I'm an insurance investigator, not a psychologist. But I don't think this is too hard to understand. Sheila, weren't you trying somehow to... to punish? Uh, I'm not sure. Sheila. Oh, Sheila, if that's true, you need help. They... They all had a life of their own. Except me. We'll help you, dear. We'll get help for you. I hated what I was doing. But I just couldn't seem to... to help myself. Mr. Dollar, you will understand that I am rather bewildered by all this. I do, Mr. Watkins. Now, you suggest that she was deliberately trying to... to tear the family apart in order to punish someone? Well, that's only a guess, Mr. Watkins, but I think it's probably a good one. Then she was trying to punish me. I think so. Hmm. Should I understand why? Did she ever have a life of her own? Was she ever allowed to have one? Mr. Dollar, I requested you to designate a beneficiary for me. That's right. I now request you to suspend further action for the time being. It appears the matter requires further thought. Item six, eight dollars and fifty cents. Transportation and incidentals back home. Expense account total, seventy-three dollars even. Remarks? 
Sheila is now undergoing treatment, and the outlook is favorable. Elizabeth's husband, Jim, is managing the affairs of Watkins and Company. Mike is helping him. And I guess he's doing a good job. Mr. Watkins, well, he's still alive. And his doctor tells me that now the old gentleman has found some reasons to be alive, he'll probably be with us quite a while and make all three of his children his beneficiaries. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood and is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Tonight's story was written by Robert Wright. Heard in our cast were Virginia Gregg, Shirley Mitchell, John Daner, Larry Dobkin, Peter Leeds, and Paul Duboff. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Dan Coverley speaking.